When we first thought of starting The Lost Chill, we knew we needed to find an easy-to-use platform to get our podcast out to you. When we found Anchor, we knew it was exactly what we had been looking for. Not only does it make recording and editing a breeze, but my favorite part is that Anchor distributes your podcast for you to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more, which saves us so much time. And my favorite part? The fact that Anchor is completely free. It keeps getting better too. Not only do you not need to pay at all for a full one-stop podcast creating platform, but you can also get paid from your podcast with no minimum amount of listeners. It's so simple. Create and edit your podcast directly on your phone using the free app, or you can also use your computer or tablet as well. There's no expensive equipment necessary to get your podcast off the ground. We truly believe you will love Anchor as much as we do. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your own podcast today. You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. We are your dazzling hosts, Katie and Kimmy. And welcome to episode three. We are so excited that you're here listening to us and hopefully reading along with us. Thank you so much for joining us. We are geared up for another great episode. But first, Katie. Yeah. Let's touch base. What books have you been curling up with since we last spoke? Oh, well, I just finished, actually, right before I came over here, The Invisible (laughs) Life of Addie LaRue. So fresh. So fresh, but I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, By V.E. Schwab, and that just so happens to be the book that we are talking about today. Wow. I don't know if you knew that. That's crazy. I hope you did. That'd make this really awkward. (laughs) A little bit. Um, But I'm also listening to A Promised Land by Barack Obama on my Audible what are you reading? In an amazing coincidence. Yeah? I also just finished The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. You're kidding me. I it's know. like we planned it. It is like we planned it. Who could have foreseen this? I could not. And right now, what I just started this morning is Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Ooh, that is a good one. Have you read it? I think so. I honestly can't remember. I actually watched the movie. With Maybe my... that's what I watched the movie. That's what it was. And I did. I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It is fun because you know we love Easter eggs, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what it's about. Mm-hmm. So, well, I hope that you enjoy that. Thank you. So let's dive into the invisible life of Addie Larue. As a reminder, we are not going to hold back, and there will be spoilers. Just sit back and relax, as this will probably be one of our longer episodes because we have a lot to say about this incredible book. Yep. So, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue was first published in October of 2020. Oh, I didn't realize it was that fresh. It's very new. Author is V.E. Schwab, and she is already a New York Times bestselling author for several of her popular series, none of which either one of us have read. But after reading this book, I can say I'm definitely going to start adding a lot more of her books. Does she stick with fantasy? 
fantasy? I think so, uh, because the names of her other series are Shades of Magic series, the Villain series. I think that she stays on that fantasy route just based off of the names of those series. I haven't looked into them too much yet, though. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue won the Goodreads 2020 Fantasy Book of the Year, and as of today... The book currently has a 4.38 rating on Goodreads. Gerard Butler's film production company, G-Based. I think it's a very strange name. (laughs) I mean, at least it's not (laughs) (laughs) G-Spot. Has purchased the rights to Addie LaRue, and it says it'll be adapting it into a film with no production timeline released yet. So all of the yes on that, as long as they don't fuck it up and it's done correctly. I'm very excited for that. So, and then also, uh, our author lives in Scotland, which I found interesting because I don't know why. Oh, I just did. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't get that vibe from her, so I don't know. Again, you're working with nothing, I guess. I've been so caught up in this book that I just can't even right now. Oh, I can't even either. Let me be the first to say that I fucking loved this book a lot. For so many reasons, which we will get into. But first, just so you know, this is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. (laughs) She looks so bad in photographs because her face is all fuzzy. Addie LaRue. That's not the (laughs) Not at all, but whatever. This is basically the story of a girl who didn't want to go through with the motions of life that was expected of her. Didn't want to go through with an arranged marriage. So she made a deal with the devil. And as tends to happen in these sorts of stories, the wording she uses for her request in the deal is twisted. So the gift turns into a curse. And the curse for Addie is that no one can remember her. So we are taken through time as Addie deals with this and see how she learns the nuances of her curse. And eventually she meets someone who remembers her. So I will be the second person, at least on this podcast, (laughs) to say I fucking loved this book. I have been seeing this hyped up a lot on Bookstagram, which is Instagram for book nerds. If you don't know, you should be on it because it's so much fun. Um, And then BookTok, which is TikTok for books. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You're so hip. Um, So I don't always tend to believe the hype, but this book certainly lives up to every single bit of hype and then some. I could not believe how amazing this story was. It was absolute perfect ending too. I'm glad you liked that. Yeah, I did. Were you worried I wouldn't? Yes. Because I did think it got predictable. I didn't. Really? Yes. I did not. Which is strange. Did you feel like there were like red herrings thrown in like yes. you would think? Yes. And then it would twist and be like, oh, okay. Yes. Because I had my guesses. I kept thinking that Henry was a trap. I thought Henry was a trap. And I could not get past that the entire time. I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think that I was, I had such tunnel vision on that theory of mine that I couldn't see any predictability that you're talking about because I could not see any of it at the end. I was like, oh, shit. I guess if you haven't read this, we'll fill you in a little. Henry ends up being the person who can remember her. And it turns out, it is revealed that Henry also made a deal with the devil. And so (laughs) we're just jumping into the ending already. Yeah, let's... uh, We'll come back. We'll come back. And... But now you know. And so now we won't spill other things. Um, So first, another thing... I feel like you've said that you have a hard time with in the past is Mm -hmm. the jumping through time perspectives, all that. How did you feel about it in this context? I thought that 
the author did an incredible job with it because I did not hate it whatsoever. I absolutely loved it. Well, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but... It's okay. We can do what we want. I'm just so excited. I'm just so excited. But there's one part where she finds out that Henry remembers her, right? Right. I wanted nothing more than to stay in that storyline. I just, I did not want to go back to 1714. And all of a sudden we go back to 1714 and I was left wanting to go back to 2014. But I respect that she did that because it left the reader wanting more of that story. Yeah. And I think that it was a, a ballsy thing to do because it could be hit or miss. You can either keep the reader's attention at that point or it might turn them off and they skip a whole part of the story. So I, I respect that she did that even though I wanted so much more of that right there. I really enjoyed it because she basically used it as a tool to reveal things in layers rather than all at once. Mm -hmm. And a slow burn. Yeah. And one of these, like my example that I can think of right now off the top of my head slash my notes (laughs) is the ring. Uh huh. So, you know, at first we were kind of seeing, I think we first saw like that she had this thing that wouldn't disappear. Mm hmm. And so we saw that she would drop it and it would just magically end up and she kind of didn't want to get want to keep it. Right. And then we saw that it had actually been something her dad had made for her. And then we ended up seeing that it was a trinket she had offered as she was praying to the gods and whoever would answer her to get her out of the arranged marriage. And then again, she was reflecting on it. We knew kind of that this had been her offering and... She kind of was rubbing it and saying she wouldn't put it on because she wouldn't be the one to break. And at that point, I was like, oh, that means she's done with the deal and she wants to surrender her soul and give up on him. But then it turns out they kind of have built a rivalry and it goes even further. And it's actually a way to just summon him not to even surrender the deal. Mm -hmm. I thought that she had such a disdain for the ring because of what it meant from her father. I did not see it coming that that was going to be the trinket that she had given yeah luke so that was a complete shocker for me which i thought was cool because it was this entire story arc of itself that it meant one thing or you thought it meant one thing in the beginning of the book and it turns out that it meant something completely different 323 years later do you call him luke yeah what do you call him loose because it's short for lucifer Oh, well, and before she knew that was his name, it was short for she thought it was short for Lucin. Oh, yeah, I call him Luke. Okay, so if you hear Luke and Luce, it's the same guy. It's the same guy. It's funny how. Well, how do you say her name? Adeline. <laughs> I say it Adeline. Oh man, but I say it Addy. I mean, we can agree on that. We can agree on Addy. Before we even dive into the nuances of Addie's curse. Hold on. Let's talk. <laughs> Sorry. That made me think. Sorry. It, it took over me. It made me think of Hermione. Because. Hermione? Yep. Because nobody knew what her name was when it first came out. Everybody said That's why she put Victor Crumb in there. To explain it? Yeah. Because she had to teach him how to pronounce it. And thus JK taught sense. the world how to pronounce it. That makes sense. Okay. Carry on. My apologies. It's all it right. just made me. I love Hermione. Yeah, she's hot. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is awkward. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> all right. Um. So there's that. Um. 
Before we get into the nuances of Addie's curse specifically, one thing I want to talk about is the power of a name. That was kind of a big thing in this book. That was one of the quotes that I took down. Okay. Would you like to share it? Look at it. I'm being the quote person today. Oh. Yeah. The quote that I took down is when she was talking to Luke, Luce. You can call him Luke if you want. I'm going to call him Luke. Names have purpose. Names have power. You know that or you wouldn't have stolen mine. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting. The part that I thought about this is her name. Well, she has two names, as we know. Adeline and Addie. And how she feels about those names is almost separate to who calls her those names. And so she kind of has a harder time with Adeline. And that is the name that was given to her by her parents. And it almost is a name that feels heavy to her because she feels as Adeline, she has to go in this marriage and do these things and live in this small village forever. But she was first called Addie by the village witch Estelle. Village witch. I like it. And so she loved that because that's when she, that's the name she was Christian when she was given a world of possibilities and adventures and something more than she thought. And I think that's funny. Um, One of our inside jokes with our group of friends Mm -hmm. is, you know, using our birth names. And it's funny how us and most people don't like to be called them. No. And... Hardly anyone is just like, oh, I just happened to so love the name I was given. What do you think that is? I don't know. Like, I definitely don't like when other people call me Caitlin, besides you and Lindsay and my parents, because those are the people that call me those names, that name. And so it means something more, I guess. It does. I don't know why. But um, I definitely prefer going by Katie to everybody else. And I think that it's weird that you call me Katie for this podcast. <laughs> And it's uh, weird. It would be extremely weird if my mom called me Katie at this point in my life. But I think it's preference. You save those things for people that you care about. I don't know. Also, it'd be weird if my husband called me by either name because it's just Hunter Honey. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny to me also how it changes over the course of a life where kind of maybe as a kid when I... You know, didn't want anyone to call me Kimberly because that's the name when I'm in trouble kind of thing Mm -hmm. and not the fun name. And Did your parents call you Kimmy or was it Kimberly or Kim Shady? Kim Shady, Kim and M. Kim and M. Um, (laughs) No, I think I told everyone from pretty young to call me Kim or Kimmy. Now I would probably stab a bitch if they called me Kim. That is like not not me at all. And I would take, I would take Kimmy or Kimberly, but probably not. Probably everyone else needs to call me Kimmy. But it's almost interesting. It's like I boxed up Kimberly because mm-hmm. I didn't like it at first. And then now, as I've grown older, it's become, it was like it was held and became sacred. Mm-hmm. So now you guys are permitted to call me that mm-hmm. on the level of trust because it's not something when I'm in trouble anymore. Right. It's a term of endearment. Yes. And that's how I've, I've grown to see Caitlin mm-hmm. as a term of endearment that it's reserved for the closest people in my life and that. If a stranger, if I introduced myself as Caitlin, it would just be, it would lose all of its meaning. Yeah. So names are weird. Names are weird. Yeah. Sorry, Shakespeare. Yeah. A rose by any other name might smell as sweet, but it would change things. Mm-hmm. Could be better. Could be a lily. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so I have saved in here. Um, I bookmarked just the whole start of her curse when she was originally talking to the devil. Uh-huh. So then we could work out later. Addie has never wanted to be married. 
she lives in a small village, though. That's what her parents want for her. Her friends are all doing it, but she has taken a liking to kind of the village crazy lady. Said witch earlier, and she could be. And this woman teaches her about old gods versus new gods and who to pray. But she does warn her from the beginning, don't pray to the gods who come in the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, up leading up to this marriage, Addie is praying for a way to get out of this. She doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to do it. And so then finally, it's the night when she's supposed to get married. She's in her wedding dress, about to leave for the church. And then she's like, hold on, I got to go get something. And but her dad saw through it. Yeah. And was trying to stop, stop her because mm-hmm. he thought she was just going to run away. Not that she was going to go cray cray and start praying to the dark gods. Yep. And so she takes the last trinket she has, the thing that means the most to her, which is this ring her dad made her. And she goes to the forest in the darkness and starts praying for a way to get out of this situation she sees no other way out of. And then the darkness comes. The darkness comes and she is given basically... A wish, I would say, a prayer. No, what would you what would you call it? So a, a trade, a trade of sorts, a trade. So, and he tells her though he sees that she's offered the ring. Mm-hmm. He takes it and it just disappears at this point, mm-hmm. and says, "I don't deal in trinkets. Mm-hmm. I don't want that." And she says she will give anything. And he says, "I only make deals for souls." And I mean, so I guess a deal, a deal, because she even a dark deal, and then. He starts asking her. I think he looks for clues or things to tuck into the deal to these sharp little barbs later that get them. Mm-hmm. Because he first says, you know, why am I even here? And she's like, I don't want to get married. And that's the first thing he says, I do not want to marry. And she says, she feels small when she says it. And it's much more than that. I do not want to belong to someone else. I do not want to belong to anyone but myself. I want to be free, free to live, to find my own way, to love or be alone. But at least it's my choice and I'm tired of not having choices, so scared of the years rushing past beneath my feet. I do not want to die as I've lived, which is no life at all. So listening to that now, after knowing what happens, it's so obvious that he was playing her words. Right. It is painfully obvious how much he was twisting her words into knowing basically that he was going to take away everything from her right her entire identity yeah and so then that's when he says he actually cuts her off and says tell me what you want and that's when she says i want a chance to live i want to be free i want more time so that line right there resonated with me personally because that's something i say all the time because i am always paranoid about time passing and children and loved ones growing older And just that it's gone in a blink of an eye. So it's once that happened, I was like, would I live differently if I knew that I had more time? But while I was thinking that, I didn't realize that she was basically going to be erased from life. Right. So then he's kind of like, okay, that's what you want. How long do you want then since you want time? And she doesn't answer. And so he goes, you don't know. You ask for time without limit. You want freedom without rule. You want to be untethered and to live exactly as you please. And she's like, yep. And he declines then. Mm -hmm. Um, He just says, you know, I'm not just a genie granting your wish or anything. I don't make deals with no end. And so then that's when she says, okay, then we'll make the rule as you can have my life when I'm done with it. You can have my soul when I don't want it anymore. And I think this is where... Addie gets him because I think he truly did believe she would get over this really quick. Yeah, that it would get old being invisible. 
and forgotten mm-hmm. and that and lonely and that no one could endure that for very long but lo and behold oh god i fucking love miss Addie. Addie larue shows him yep and so basically that's how her curse started mm-hmm. and then throughout the course of the whole book we're still kind of learning about it and both present time and as she's learning about it and so some things we learn are she can't say her name she can't make a mark she literally can't write it's not that nothing happens it disappears like mm-hmm. instantly like invisible ink yeah it's not held it dries and dries invisible and you can't see it again unless you're katie and have a decoder in your car listen I needed it, obviously. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but even there's one part where she stabs a guy. Right. And it just <laughs> never happened. It's so strange. It's she, she breaks things. She and, can't, yeah. And they just go back together. She can't be in pictures. It's always blurred or out of focus or over. Or the picture doesn't take. Yep. Camera battery dies. Yeah. She can't cut her hair. She can't stay satiated for as long as normal people which is odd. And that's a weird thing too, because she knows she can't die. Mm-hmm. So she tries not to eat, but she like can't bear. Cause the hunger pangs are become so, so strong. Yeah. So she still feels that. Yeah. But she doesn't ever lose weight. No, nope. you would think that because she's constantly not eating like a normal person, right. that she would be skin and bones, but she never loses. She never gains. She constantly stays constant. Yeah. And it seems like she, has to drink even to stay in the semblance of buzzed at all. Mm-hmm. But some things she learns that she can do is she can steal. And she finds out later, I think after talking to Luce, that this is because successful theft is anonymous. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't you know, belong to her. Um, she can ser- share secrets, which have no owner. She was kind of a spy in Germany for a hot minute, sharing the secrets. Yep. And then... One of my favorite parts is how she learned she can share ideas. Oh, God, yeah. I loved that so much. Especially when she was with Henry in the merchant in the bar and her old flame, Toby, came on the screen and she had basically helped him write that song, giving him the notes, and then she said that he found the words. And so for it to come full circle towards the end of the book, and now she sees him performing her song, on stage it was just so overwhelming that she couldn't even stand to be in there she felt that he locked eyes with her during that performance yeah but he had no idea who she was right but was singing a song about her and that she wrote which is incredible yeah and i guess so we'll even share the specifics i guess of how Addie's curse work with people not remembering her. Mm-hmm. Basically, if she stayed and was right in front of them, they remembered her. But as soon as they like left the room or turned around or did something else, then they faded or from went her to mind. Bed. Yeah. She was able to like spend kind of whole days with people. Mm-hmm. But I have questions about that because I think what? they would have gone to the bathroom. That was always <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, are these people dehydrated and not going to the bathroom? Yeah, all? so I feel like a whole day would have been a stretch. But then when she's with um, Henry's friends, they get up and go somewhere to and the she bathroom does just... or whatever. And she just does sort of fade away. And yeah. they're like, who are you again? Yeah. It's weird. And sometimes she does endure it. Like she'll spend the whole night with someone. 
And then that person kind of just thinks they had too much to drink the night before and woke up with yeah. a stranger and they feel bad even though she remembers. And Oh man, the worst part was when, what was his name? Remy? Remy. Oh. When she woke up and had a, an amazing day and night with him and woke up and he puts money in her hands because he thinks that she was a prostitute. And just the rough. shame that she felt when that happened was just gut-wrenching because she didn't really feel that way about others prior to that. It was and just sort of, you deal with it. That's because I think, I'm pretty sure, Remy was the first person she had a connection with mm-hmm. in her life after not being able to be remembered. And before that, she honestly did whore herself out a few times. Yeah. Because that she needed money. Yeah, that's what she had to do. Yeah, and they would forget her. And so right. she did it for survival purposes. Yeah. And so she didn't have ever have a connection. And so sex was kind of meaningless to her or just to mm-hmm. mean to an end. Mean to an end. <laughs> but when she sold her virginity, was that not the saddest thing? That was so sad. It was so degrading. It was. And just gross and ugh. It was rough. It just gave sure. me the heebie-jeebies. That's, that's why the whole Remy story, it was so uplifting and then it was so crushing. Yeah, it was. Because... You had hope. For her to feel that connection and be like, wow, you know, actually being with someone who is attracted to you and has feelings with you, who you have these memories with, even if it's only for a day. Right. Or, but they got a lot in that day. Yeah, they did. But to like just be able to feel what that's like... And to get that glimpse and then, you know, realize she can never hold on to it. To know all of someone's mannerisms, but they're seeing you for the first time really struck a chord to just show how lonely she was. Because she knows these people on a deep level. Sam and Remy and yeah. Toby. Um, on a, a very deep level. But the next morning, they're always seeing her for the first time. That's got to be a really shitty feeling. You know, that was one of the characteristics that I loved about Addie is because that must have been actually crushing to her. So she was cursed for like 300 years. That's when the story spans from when it happened in 1714, I believe, until 2014. So she had 300 years like this. And I think in the beginning, she, you know, flitted around a bunch, didn't want to deal with it. She did learn people's schedules so she could go stay in their houses yeah. like the the actor guy do you remember well, him? not even that i'm talking way before that oh like the elite in oh France yeah 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 with who still had maids uh-huh. there so that was pretty ballsy that was her. pretty ballsy no but with james i felt like that was more how she was at the end like yeah she learned his schedule mm-hmm. but i think she also that was another bond she developed yeah and I think that's, that's what I think changed. So at first, I think she was just learning schedules for a place to stay. But after that, I think she liked getting to know people, mm-hmm. even though they didn't know her. And with some people like Toby and Sam, she would fall in love with them day after day. And she would admit it wouldn't take very long, maybe a few months before her heart couldn't take them for getting her anymore while she was so attached. Mm-hmm. But there were smaller characters too. Like in the beginning, there were these sisters at the market she bought coffee from, and she actually bought stuff from them instead of stole from them just because she liked them so much. I briefly remember that. It was so small. It was a nothing. But she just knew them and had been going there regularly that she's like, even though they won't remember me, I still don't want to screw them over because they're good people and I like them. And then 
uh, the guy with the who was always selling his the books. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I loved that little nugget there. And I think she even like she took the books. I think she thought they weren't they were pretty endless, and that he was just restocking. Yeah, but I think she still like got that attachment, and so she stopped flitting around. And I think she liked getting to know people. Mm-hmm. And I loved that about her. Yeah, the connections she was making, regardless of them not remembering her. Yeah, but they did remember her on some level. Just not always her name, her face, but they knew that she, I should say, they knew of the memory of her. Does that make sense? That's not what I'm trying to say. So the way B explains it mm-hmm. is that it's deja vu every time she yeah. meets her. Yeah. And I think that's kind of that thing. Every single time they go through the same dance. And that was frustrating. Which is, it's weird to think about. Like, can you imagine if... Like, do you have your things that you would do the same exact way you met someone? I was like, yeah, she was like, hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Every single day. Every day. I'm shuffling. I wonder, I don't know, do you think... I don't know. We never touched on it, but do you think that there was like a part of her who would like people that were kind of different every time? You know, I'm not sure because I think that the... Or would the familiarity and repetition be... Comforting. That's what I kind of, I've got the feeling that it was comforting. Uh, so Luke, Lou, Lou, what'd you call him? Luce? Luce. Because it's short for Lucifer, not Lucifer. No, but Luke is a name. It's still a name. Luke is L-U-K-E. No, this was uh, European, you Luke. What? I don't know. That's what it made sense in my brain. I, I the don't... Schwab, if you could please give us a ring and let us know. <laughs> Drop us a line. I'll leave you in my number. We'll talk. Or you guys can battle it out in the comment section and tell us, do you think it's Luce or Luke? Definitely Luke. <laughs> Team Katie is Luke. Okay, so Luce. Maybe we'll put a poll up. Okay. I like that idea. We'll put a poll up on our socials on uh, tomorrow. Okay, so Luce or Luke? Mm-hmm. Darkness or devil? Monster or God? That I am still undecided about. Okay. What do you think he is? Well, I mean, you're so set on Luke and or Luke, whatever the fuck. Lucifer. Lu- Lucifer. Yeah, I think so, he's the devil. I think he's the devil, but he went into church. Okay, and? You think that the devil could just walk into church? I think churches can be dark places. That's a whole different story for another day. Okay, he can go where it's dark. Not all churches are darkness, but not all churches are light either. Probably because people make deals with the devil. So what did you think about, did you, okay. There is so much to unpack here. There is a lot to unpack here. Like that's why we're having a little bit of difficulty putting it into words. Oh my gosh. Because there's so much to unpack. It is so deep. It is so like mind blowing in everything that happened with this Luke Luce guy. You can just call him Luke and I will call him Luce and it will be fine. Okay. We're talking about the same person. Okay. Or entity. Because he's not a human. So we both agree that we do not believe he thought Addie would have any staying power and that she would give up a lot. Yes. Do you think that he truly had an attraction to her? Do you think he was trying different ways to give her to give up? Do you think she genuinely had a pull on him too? <laughs> I've got questions. I know. And I, <laughs> I do too. And so I think 
that once he realized what a, a good opponent she was in, in terms of the game, the analogy that they kept going back and forth using, that's what drew him to her. When he realized that she's not going to bitch out and only hang around for five, ten years in this life, that she is a strong Adversary. personality yeah, that is not going to give up. So I think that's where his attraction started. I think it's interesting that you say like a game like it was the whole time because I think that very specifically changed at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think so. There was one particular in um, New Orleans. Is that where you think it changed when to a degree she gave in to him? So originally she doesn't see him again for a while, but he starts showing up on every anniversary of the day they made the deal. Uh huh. And at first he judges her. Thought you'd be doing more than your life than eating bonbons in someone else's bed. <laughs> That's such a great uh, visualization yeah. there. And he just kind of needles her and like, mm-hmm. can't believe you're still here. I'll give it, you'll you'll be done soon. Yeah, all these things. Like he's so surprised she's even still holding on after one or two years. Year three, he starts to really become more aggressive about it, and mm-hmm. that he wants her soul, and they fight more and go into it and he even says like oh Addie, you've gotten such sharp teeth all of a sudden but that night she says he has given her a gift tonight because she has felt like giving up many times over the course of these three years the darkness has given her the one thing she truly needs an enemy so now the battle lines are drawn and the first shot may have been fired way back when when he stole her life along with her soul but this is the beginning of the war mm-hmm. and so i think that's how she viewed it for a very 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 long time the war yes i can't be defeated uh-huh. even if he gets me this is just which is probably what made her last 300 years yeah and so that was the gift that it gave her something to fight mm-hmm. for and fight against mm-hmm. and to not back down against mm-hmm. and i think it is after they that she gave in and they had a weird relationship yeah i wouldn't even call it a relationship it's a you scratch my back i'll scratch your back kind of thing that you know she hooked up with him and then he gave her a home for the first time in she didn't just hook up years. with him though I don't think that she was in love with him. Do you? I think she had to safeguard herself against falling against him. She reminded herself that he wasn't real, that he wasn't a person. She would put her ear to his chest and be like, look, there's nothing beating inside. There's nothing in there. So I think she had to remind herself of that constantly to keep from falling in love with him. Hmm. So that brings me to another question that I have about Luke is she had that drawing as a child as a teenager, of the stranger that she kept basically... Yes, losing. Yeah, that she was manifesting into somebody who she was falling in love with, even though he wasn't real. So then she manifests Luke into that stranger, Lucen, and he takes on that form. My question, though, is kind of jumping ahead. Why did Henry see him as the same person? Why did everybody see him? As the same person that she had manifested. Was he doing that because she had manifested him to that and that was now his human form because he wanted her love so much or... So I don't necessarily fully believe and I don't know the details of if he appeared like that to everyone he made deals with. I think he appeared like that to Henry because that's very, very similar to how Henry looked. It is. And I think that could be a mind game of, Mm. oh, you want to be what everyone wants. Reminder, I look like you. What she wants is me and not you. Oh, that's 
Yeah. I just, I don't know how he appeared to like Frank Sinatra or... And it could also be too that she is looking at him with these people and people see it differently and she doesn't know. Oh, that's true. But it does describe him with Henry of looking the same. Yes. And he even comments like, oh. Yeah. It's flattering that look he at looks her, the same. Look at her choice in yeah. men. It's yeah. me. It's me. Even though she manifested him. Yeah. So. Okay. And so then I guess we discussed if Addie ever fell in love with him. Do you think he had any real feelings for her? Do you think any of his gifts were genuine gifts? Or do you think they were all... Nope to get her to give in no i think that he was well let me rephrase that towards the end i think his gifts were genuine which one mainly the champagne i felt that is a good gift (laughs) well take note everyone (laughs) everybody take note not cooks not cooks that's a gift for someone you hate anyways go on sorry the champagne was such a chivalrous gesture very lispy there i apologize I just felt it sort of ramped up the tension and that he was standing off to the side. And granted, it wasn't that big of a gift, but it was still something that he was trying to lure her attention with. And I I feel like that was more genuine than anything else that he gave her because he was trying to be nice to make her see him as someone that she wanted to be with, even though she didn't want to. That's the only one that I thought. So I kind of thought that the jacket was weird. Damn it, I forgot about the fucking jacket. Yeah, because yes. that one, like, it was just something she liked. And I guess the other thing we might not have mentioned about her curse is that she could hardly keep possessions. Yeah. She would sometimes be able to get them for a while, but she would just lose them. And they would just disappear. Yeah, and it's not like break. she could have a closet full of clothes, mm-hmm. so things got pretty ragged. And basically, just one time, they walked past the store together, and she eyeballed this leather jacket and then suddenly he just gave it to her. And she that was something that she never lost. It's like the brooch in Friends where Ross gets Rachel the brooch because they walked past an antique shop and she saw it and she liked it. And then he gets it for her. But he's in China uh, with Julie. Julie. Not as bad as Emily. <laughs> but still, it's Julie. So then if that reminds you of friends, that's how we knew Ross fell in love with Rachel. Does yes. that mean we do believe Luce has oh, the feels then for Addie? Oh, you kind of just blew my mind. <sighs> maybe. Maybe. I still don't believe him. I don't trust him. That's that's mainly my issue with his love you is I don't trust, trust him. him. But some relationships are like that. They're very terrible and unhealthy and no one should be in them. But sometimes people like that power they have over them. I do think he got feelings for her because I think he liked her brain and her stubbornness. And I think he liked that challenge that, aspect. That she could keep up with in him. In the pursuit, yes. I think yeah. he liked that a lot. And But I still, still think... Don't trust him. I think he had his ultimate goal of wanting her soul. But I think he enjoyed the company, but it wasn't just another easy win for him. Do you think that if she eventually had given in and forfeited her soul what would he have done would he have felt like he won or would he felt like he lost because now she's gone and his opponent is no more and it's his I fault. think I think had she given in he would have liked her so much less mm-hmm. and it would have gone away and I think it's kind of a thing we've talked about with normal people we know in real life mm-hmm. of the ones who claim everybody always leaves them and they're just so used to pain and and so they can't trust anyone. They can't open up to anyone. Then 
when their actions push these people away, they're like, see, I told you, everyone's the right, same. Right. I think he would have thought that about her. Okay. And he would have been like, oh, uh, see, I can see that. Just another human, just another weak one who. Yeah. Is, I thought she had a little something in her, but I was wrong. So there's a little interesting turn of events where we find out that obviously besides Henry and Addie, Luke has made other deals with other people, some who are a lot more famous than others throughout history, like Beethoven, which was awkward because that went into a lot of a lot of a in-depth look at Beethoven. And then Joan of Arc, which is somebody you definitely would not think made a deal with the devil. So I saved Joan's page. Let me find it. Joan was interesting. And then Frank Sinatra, along with other random people, but those being the celebrity deal makers. <laughs> the celebrities. So Frank Sinatra, he never went into details about Mm-mm. about what they did. And he never even flat out said that I made a deal with Frank Sinatra. He, I think that Addie asked him what his name was and he just replied Frank Sinatra and she knew. And sometimes he was mysterious too because they would, like the whole thing about speakeasies, Mm-hmm. She thought she found this hidden place. Addie would just be going about living her life and she discovered some speakeasies and she would think it would be like her special place that she loved going to them. Mm-hmm. And then he would show up. Yeah. And he'd be like, who do you think even this belongs to? And she would start seeing all these details that were obviously his. Yeah. And so sometimes it would be like places like that, crowded places and clubs and crowds. And she'd be like, oh, look at you here to see me again. And he'd be like, what makes you think I'm here for you? Alluding to other people in the crowd having deals with him or Mm -hmm. being there for something else. Yeah, the whole room full of politicians and celebrities and important people. It's interesting just because of how familiar he and Addie got, even though it could be once a year, like go 30 years, but. One time she started asking him about like the strangest deal he's done. And that's when he told her about Joan of Arc. Yeah. And he was like, oh, a soul for a blessed sword so that she could not be struck down. And Addie's like, but she was. And he's like, ah, but not in battle. Semantics may seem small, but the power of the deals in the wording. Which is also a playback to how he worded his deal with Addie in the beginning. I felt at least. Oh, and here he also says... Um, or she tells him, I refuse to believe Joan of Arc made a deal with the dark. And he says, well, perhaps I let her believe I was a little more angelic. And then he even says, maybe it wasn't just the soul for the sword, because he said in the end, she became what she wanted to be. A martyr. Nope, a legend. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, gosh, he's just, I don't know. Which I thought it was interesting that he worded it that way that she was not a martyr that she was a legend which i thought was definitely interesting so henry 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 oh our little storm cloud so cute were you excited by henry's wall of mugs shit yes i was (laughs) and i was like that is a fantastic idea yep put them all on display all of them all the mugs in a whole entire wall i hope you're listening husband Yep, I do. So many mugs. Because all the mugs are getting hung up. Then we'll have infinite amount of room for mugs. So from the very beginning, when we're introduced to Henry, he is in a bookstore. And my favorite, like just from the 
immediate that I knew he would be something special and powerful is his friends were saying he should be a writer or something. And he said specifically he was a story keeper, not a storyteller. And that is one of my most favorite pieces of foreshadowing ever in history, probably. I didn't catch that, but that's amazing. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my God. Like my immediate reaction that I wrote down was, oh my God, please keep Addie's story somehow. I didn't And we had no idea. They hadn't even met yet when that was put in there. And I fucking loved it. Can we talk about book? Oh. So there's a bookstore downtown and... It's what I was picturing this entire time. Okay. It's on Broadway. It's called Gallagher's Books. And the old lady there has a fucking cat. Is his name Book? No, it should oh. be. But it just reminded me. of like That's the, the bookstore I was picturing the entire time. I wish it was a puppy. But cats are kind of more... They're better for bookstores. Yeah. Because then they just pop up and they're cute and Mysterious curl up on you. and pretentious. Mysterious. They should wear glasses. They're Some so pretentious. Might. Like McGonagall. <laughs> Her little spectacles. So uh, Henry, so he works at a bookstore. And the other thing we learn about him is that he has some pretty deep depression. So he's always dealt with depression and feeling a lot. But then one of the happier times in his life is he meets a girl. (laughs) I just wish you guys could feel the anticipation in this room right now. So he is in love with this girl and thinks, you know, this something is finally going his way. This girl, he's with her for two years. He thinks it's very serious. And somewhere between a question and an answer, it fell apart. She dropped his hand while dancing, left him out there standing, crestfallen on the landing, champagne problems. (laughs) So, yeah, basically every single time. I wish you could have seen the choreography that went along with that. I just heard champagne (laughs) problems constantly. It's constantly Uh, looping through my head. Have you ever heard of this person? I don't know if you know her. Taylor Swift. No, is she a storyteller or? You might say. Oh, might I? (laughs) You might. You might say that she's a lyrical genius. I think you could. Yeah. You um, might say that she's your BFF. Would you say that Henry's heart was glass and she dropped it? <laughs> I can't even look at you seriously right now. <laughs> With so, all of your lyrical references. I can't even. I can't get enough of that Did song. you get a whole vibe from this book being Champagne Problems? Like the entire book? Or just... Um, I mean, that was... I mean, the Champagne Problems are the dropped engagement strongly but champagne was a very prevalent thing and i enjoyed that because i love champagne i do and honestly one of the parts i highlighted that i loved was the first time that addie tried champagne and she's just talking about the thousand fragile bubbles Mm -hmm. on her tongue sharp and sweet and Mm -hmm. uh, it was such a perfect description of champagne yeah it really was. It summed everything up. And then she became quite the champagne drinker as she ordered a 1959 bottle of Dom uh, <laughs> when she and Luke went on their little excursion. I enjoyed that a lot. Yes. I enjoyed the champagne aspect and the champagne problems because I like anything that takes me back to my girl Tay-Tay. But that leads us, that broken engagement and Henry's depression, to his curse and his deal with the devil. Did you see... It coming that he also was cursed. No, 
See, that I did see as predictable. Really? Because there was a couple of hints along the way that he had something to tell her and like was on the verge of saying it. And then he didn't. And the fact that he didn't even fucking question when she's like, I'm 323 years old. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I'm just going to start laughing uh, manically right now because that's all I can do. And doesn't even flinch at that. And he's like, of course you're cursed. Of course you're cursed. And so then he doesn't necessarily come clean with her at that point that he's also in the same boat, but for different reasons. Yeah, he does. It takes, like, she tells her entire story. Yeah, and then he laughs at the end and goes, yeah, I believe you because that's me too. But what are you going to interrupt? Being like, oh, no, don't tell me about your 300-story lie. Let me tell you I did that shit too. It It was just weird because while she's finally having somebody be able to listen to her and not just zone out while she's telling them her, her story. secret, I was just like, how crazy would it be if like my husband comes up to me one day and is like, I got a secret for you. <laughs> I'm 323 years old. You're like, shut the fuck up. There's no way he's a day over 294. Definitely not. I mean, he is older than me, but I mean, not that much. <laughs> but I mean, like, what if somebody told you that? What would you, how would you react if you weren't cursed yourself, that is? I want those drugs. It's interesting the way it was done. Cause Did it, you not like it? You didn't. I think what didn't, I don't know. I think if we would have known more about his curse and stuff, because he was also like, who are you? And there was something about her to him that whole time. I don't know. I didn't think that he made a deal with the devil, too. I, I always thought he was implanted by the devil to be some sort oh, yeah. of trap. I thought he was a trap from the get-go. And so I didn't necessarily think he was just another deal maker. I thought he was just a pawn. I thought that he was Luke in disguise Hmm. because they were so similar in appearance. That's what I thought for the majority of their time together until this happened, of course. Interesting. So Henry was completely different than Addie, though, with his curse because he wasn't actively seeking somebody to help him. He was taken advantage of. I believe that wholeheartedly, that Luke just showed up without being summoned without any sort of notion that that's even what Henry wanted. And he was inebriated. He was on drugs. He was the whole shebang suicidal. And he took absolute 120% advantage of that. The other thing too, though, about how this goes with its timeline is it did not reveal the first time when we learned about the specifics allegedly of Henry's curse. Right. It didn't reveal he was suicidal. No, it did not. It didn't reveal a lot when we first learned about his curse. And I think a part of that plays in with Henry's shame. You think he was feeling shame for the curse that he made or the deal that he made or that he was suicidal? All of it. Okay. So I think he just kind of was revealing, you know, oh, I was having a rough night, kind of hit rock bottom. I'm not going to say like real rock bottom, like wanting to die. And suddenly this guy just appeared. He was so taken advantage of. He really was. Like, even just... I know we've already touched on that, but... But I mean, when I I guess when you're the devil, you don't give a shit. As we later learn about Henry's curse details, what he originally said he wanted hits differently, too. So what he said that he told the devil he wanted was, I don't know what they want from me. I don't know who they want me to be. They tell me to be yourself, but they don't mean it. And I'm just tired. I'm tired of falling short. Tired of... It's not that I'm alone. I don't mind alone, but this, it hurts. And then, taking advantage of him even more, the devil tells him he's perfect. Basically, a lot of Henry's worries, too, 
is instead he doesn't ever say he wants himself to be enough for other people he is worried about what other people want and he doesn't know how to be what other people want Mm -hmm. luke is just extremely predatory with both of these people and i'm sure with everybody else that he's made deals with for their souls as well i mean well we saw with joan of arc Mm -hmm. he was predatory on her too that it's all in the semantics of the words right it's ridiculous well, so Henry, even in his like drunken stupor with you know his antidepressants or whatever stronger pills he took, um, he's trying to brush him off and like I don't believe in devils and don't believe in souls, and so the devil or Luce takes advantage of that too, and it's like been <laughs> great, you have nothing to lose, win win. Mm-hmm. He says you want to be loved, you want to be enough, and I can give that to you for the price of something you won't even miss, and so I think when it's in this context at first, it's like oh I don't believe in souls. All right, so what's it to you if you bet your soul? But then we learn later that it was actually that he's suicidal. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I mean, either you can die right now then with then your suicide. He makes this timeline, which we don't understand the severity of the timeline at the beginning of all of this. Did you pick up anything with the watch? Yes, that it was 12 hours equals 12 months. So, and then the time was running out on the watch because the watch looked like it was broken when Addie first picked it up. Because the time was completely off. And it didn't even have multiple hands, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, the devil plays on this where he lets everybody see Henry in this light where it's not even just this infatuation with him in a romantic way. It is this infatuation with him in different relationships. Like, I wish you were my son. I wish you were my brother. His parents start treating him differently. Everybody starts treating him differently. All the customers except for B. B still treats him the same, which I thought was interesting that their relationship was so already on that level, that she loved him as a friend so much on that level. Does that make sense? Yes, their friendship had weight. Mm -hmm. But that was also he learned pretty quickly. I think before he even saw everyone else, before he saw his parents, he thought everyone wanted him romantically. Yeah. And so that's why he asked her. He asked her because B is a lesbian. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of just blunt and straightforward. What's he had to lose? Like, do you want me? But I think that the way that she was infatuated with him was already existing because they had such a close friendship. So she even had the fog in her eyes, but it was already there. No, and that's not even what I'm saying, though. No. Like, yes, you're right that she does not treat him differently. Yeah. But she still sees him exactly as what she wants, which is not a lover. Okay, I can get behind that. Mm Mm-hmm. But and then there's Robbie, mm-hmm. who is so infatuated with him still. But then Addie tells Henry, oh, I think Robbie still loves you. And he's like, yeah, I, I know he loves me, but I can't love him. And he doesn't say, I shouldn't love him. I wouldn't love him. I don't love him. I can't love him. So that was sort of foreshadowing to the infatuation curse. One thing I wondered about, well... I didn't think about this because I didn't go back and reread the curse until right now on this podcast. Uh huh. Because I was kind of wondering, I was like, why was it specifically that they see what they want instead of changing what they want to him? Uh huh. And that's where I got my food analogy. Okay. Of. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> that's where I got my food analogy of like, say right now, what I'm craving is a steak. And then you put a hamburger in front of me. The feelings don't go oh, actually, I do want a hamburger. How did you know? I want that more. Uh-huh. It's go like it just truly believes like, yes, look at that steak, even though you can see it's clearly a hamburger. Kind of like the lady who wanted the different books. 
you remember yes. when she came mm-hmm. in and asked for the book with the rose on the cover? Yeah. And he gave her two different options and she was just so excited about both, even though they probably weren't what she wanted in the first place. So just like that. Yes, like that. And then even with the Vanessa, the coffee shop girl. Oh, that girl. I think that was when he first realized the whole food analogy. At first, he thought people were wanting him. Mm-hmm. That they were like, oh, no, I want this instead of what I thought I wanted. I want the steak and not the... Or I want the hamburger and not the steak. And I think that's when he asked her point blank, what do you want? Or like, what do you like about me? And she described someone else entirely. And that's when he realizes they're not even seeing me. I'm not becoming enough for them. They're mm-hmm. just projecting what they want onto me. Yeah. And so what that makes me wonder, though, is what people think about him and how they feel about him when he's not right in front of them. That is a good point. I did not think about that. Because even like his old dean at mm-hmm. school, who he got kicked out of the doctorate program, and all of a sudden he sees him in the coffee shop. It's like, hey, come on, I got this tenure position open for you. And it's like, what the hell? Who in their right minds would even consider me for that tenure position after you just kicked me out of the doctorate program? Right. So it, it would be interesting to see, especially like in that position, like if he had gotten the job, if he had accepted the job there, and then they'd been like, why did we hire him again? Yeah, like every time, like, but then they walk in the room and they're like, right. oh my God, you're the best teacher yeah. ever. Keep but it he up. Leaves and they're like, what is he doing here? He's so And like, I wonder, like, even with Robbie too, yeah. would it have gotten to a point where he kind of avoids him? Where he's like, I feel so fine and good, but then I see him again and I have to have him again. I, I can't know. take any person he's with, you know? Yeah. I don't know because it doesn't seem like he tried to avoid him at any, any cost. Not yet. Not, but but it's I mean, just it's a year. A year. Yeah. So one of my favorite things about this book, because it kind of changed everything for Mm -hmm. me, because you know that I am like the queen of nostalgia and I love the memories and the pictures and all the things and even like just rereading books because of the memories Mm -hmm. I have tied to them. And here in this book, Addie couldn't create memories with people like that, but she found that she could create ideas and that they take root deeper. And that was how she worked on leaving her mark with people and music and art and just the whole ideas being wilder. I loved that part of the book. And it comes up like time and time again. And Well, she even says it. She even says that ideas are different than memories. And so the whole idea being stronger than memories Mm -hmm. takes me back to another concept that I really loved this book exploring. And that is... How often she kept revisiting her hometown. And it said she is alone again in a land she knows down to her bones. A place she has not been in 50 years. Twice as long away as she was here and still it feels like home. And I that just was making me think of home and why places feel like that and why it's so strong. And I think it's because it's not the actual memory of the place. It's the idea you have of the place. And the memory of the feeling. And that's why it's strong. No, the idea. The idea. Because the, the memory is not as strong. Okay. And so her memory of her home and her days with her family, that's not that strong. But thinking back to the idea of her belonging somewhere and the idea of the safe place and the idea of a place that was hers, I think that's what makes it stronger for everyone. And I think that's maybe what makes the idea of home that deep with such a pull is because it's like almost memories and ideas tied together. Because I don't think the home, the specific home, is what people go back to. I think it's the idea of what they thought it was before they went out into the world and changed 
Yeah. And I have some theories about when she went back home anyway. What are your theories? Um, so first of all, it broke my heart when she went back and saw her old decrepit mom who didn't recognize her, obviously. But then she came to the realization, that's the last time I'm going to see my mom. And that kind of just resonated with me because not only is that the last time that you're seeing your mom, she has no idea who you are. So I kind of equated that to like a mom who has dementia or something like that, how how lonely that might be and how how much abandonment you might feel with that. But my theory on her parents was it mentioned that her dad, she went to go visit his gravestone and it was the year of his death was 1714, which is the year that she made the deal with Luke. And then all of a sudden she's gone out of their life. Mentioned that he had some sort of cough and rattle in his chest and was getting sick. But do you think that he died from a broken heart? Because their relationship was a lot closer than his, than her and her mother. So they were very close. They were, they had a great relationship. But do you think that he maybe died because he was mourning her, even though he didn't know he was mourning her? <laughs> was that too much? <laughs> I don't know. I, I sort of I read into that. I can see it, but I can see it. it. It fits, but I don't know. It's like the cat in Midnight Library. Maybe going to die anyways. Check out our first episode if you haven't. Midnight Library. So, I mean, that's that's an interesting theory. I was just really d- thinking into that. Yeah, I can I don't tell. I don't know. Moving on. Moving on. So, back to our friend Remy. Yeah. One thing he says is small places make for small lives. And I kind of sadly think this is a very common belief these days of people you know, not wanting to do the family thing, not wanting to do that kind of traditional what's expected of me and settle down and kind of these negative connotations with that. And I think that's, you know, a very common thing to, you know, just want to go out and live and want to see the world and do all these things as opposed to that. Um, and I definitely get that appeal. I want to go see the world. I want to do all these things. So I think it's, kind of a sad state of things and it can be taken for granted and overlooked especially when you blend it with leaving a mark the way I look at it because there is absolutely joy in discovering new lands discovering the ocean discovering mm-hmm. champagne discovering all these things you might not have seen if you stayed in that village but maybe it's because I do know but there is also such absolute joy in seeing your child's face light up Every time they see you, yeah, seeing your child's face learn these new things. And I think people do write it off as feeling very constricting. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of joy in that. Mm-hmm. And that's also where I take it further, especially in contrast with the flitting around and who's to say the most meaningful or the best way. And it can easily vary from person to person. But is it better to go and leave tiny marks all over the world, little notches in the bedpost? Or is it deeper and more meaningful to leave very deep marks on the lives of a few people around you? So I guess really it can be a thought or a debate of like the old adage, would you rather have a hundred okay friends or just a few close friends? And 
what is life? Is it leaving marks on the people of those around you? Or is it deeper like her and leaving marks in history and in art? For me personally, two best friends, definitely. But I'm a little bit different when it comes to her, where I want to leave marks on the people around me. So instead of leaving marks on history, like she was wanting to. I think it's more of a parental thing too, that I want to leave a mark on my children, a good mark. Honestly, one of the things I thought is one of the biggest marks you could leave on the world is your children and what they can do mm-hmm. and what the generations after you can do because mm-hmm. we are all connected and intertwined. So I can see it. I can see how it looks like kids can be a hindrance, especially in the 1700s. Well, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about in the Midnight Library. Was it the Midnight Library that we were talking about? How it's a modern day concept that you rear your own children. Right. Yeah. And nope. I think that was secrets we kept. One of the yeah. first two episodes that it's definitely a novel concept that that's what we do now, that we're a family unit and that, you know, even that the, the father is more involved now. Right. That's huge. And that's not even like that's super oh. old. Like that's even from our parents. Right. That's like super fresh, our generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I'm a little bit different as opposed, but you know, if I were in her situation of having to leave a mark some way, somehow in mm-hmm. this world, I would rather kind of adjust and do what she did and leave a mark in history as opposed to leaving a mark on people because that's all you could do. Right. That's one thing I loved about her is just how creative she was about doing that and finding ways to leave a mark with all these restrictions. Yep. And she adapted quickly. She really did. So kind of going back to multiple concepts we've discussed here of thinking that we could, that, you know, just getting married and having kids is a very constricting, restricted life where you don't have much room to breathe or do anything or you have to bury yourself in your ambitions and thoughts to do that. But then also being seen and remembering others and just leaving the mark on people. There was this chick flick that I have never even seen, but I was so crazy in my collection of quotes in the days of my youth. (laughs) My friends and I would just like create word documents and then print them out and exchange them. And this we would does just not surprise me at all. Quotes that we would just exchange. This does not surprise me whatsoever. <laughs> and um, so this movie is called Shall We Dance? I guess they wanted kind of more of the whole being seen. And what she said is we need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. I mean, what does any one life really mean? But in a marriage, you're promising to care about everything, the good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things, all of it. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. And it kind of just was interesting. That just came into my mind because, you know, she so desperately doesn't want to be in a marriage where someone sees you all the time and sees all the parts of you, but then no one sees her. And it's just an interesting way, I think, to think of marriage because Mm -hmm. a lot of it too, even your friends, your friends often see the best parts of you the good days i mean we see each other a lot more now that we make the podcast but Mm -hmm. usually it's a big to do and a big event even if it's pretty frequent Mm -hmm. but you know your spouse sees everything Mm -hmm. and how can you how can you be more seen than being married basically that's pretty spot on just for reference is this the movie with jennifer lopez and richard Gere? oh you never saw it (laughs) 
never saw it. I'm just curious because I just had to look it up because it didn't sound familiar. But oh yes, it is. <laughs> Have you seen it? No, oh. but I was just curious as to what it is, and uh, it would have been funnier if it was Matthew McConaughey. Oh, no, it would have been because that's what I was really hoping it was. Seeing as I read <laughs> Green Lights recently, oh. uh, but Stanley Tucci is in it. Who my husband has uh, been told he looks like. <laughs> It's him. Oh, gosh. Um, so the final thing I want to say before we wrap up is more of a shout out to Estelle. We mm-hmm. touched on her briefly, but I don't think we talked on her much. No. But she was probably the most influential person Absolutely. in Addie's life. She's the reason this happened. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. meant a lot well, to her. She's not the reason it happened, but she, Addie wouldn't have known what to do right. if Estelle had not guided her, well, even though she warned her. She warned her. She might have done it still. I mean, who told Beethoven and would he have listened? (laughs) I am deceased. (laughs) So, I mean, there's that. That was a good one. (laughs) That was a good one. (laughs) So Estelle, uh, I mean, she's a free spirit. She's still to a degree, cared about right and wrong, uh, light and dark. And mm-hmm. Did you like her? I liked her. Yeah. Yeah, I did. But Especially because Addie didn't have the best relationship with her mom, so she was more of a maternal figure. So there is one final thing, though, that I do want to talk about. Okay. And it's chess. Again. It shows up in all of our it books. It shows up in you all of You know what else showed up in most of the books? What? Secrets. Yes. Secrets and chess. Secrets and chess. So there is one quote, and let me find it. It was actually the last quote that I took from this book. And this is the silence of a chess game being played. So I'm going to blow your mind here real quick. So Addie brings up purple elephants. And then if I say that, or if she says that I saw a purple elephant, you're going to start seeing purple elephants everywhere too. Because that's just what happens is your mind starts to notice those things <laughs> chess is now our purple elephant chess is now in every book apparently so just going full circle wrap up wrap Fire it hit. up as you might know we have a rating here at the lost chill for every book that we read one through five stars five is our all-time favorite book four is great i'd definitely read it again three this was a solid book it was very good Two, not very good. Could have lived without reading it. And one, why the fuck did I waste my time on this rubbish? Kimmy. Oh. Where did this fall for you? <sighs> I think it's pretty obvious mm. for both of us. Mm. But definitely a five. Yep. I loved nearly all the characters, even if I hated them. Like Luce. Luke? I mean, he- Luce. Luke. <laughs> Luce. <laughs> um, just be... There was just so much interesting tension and playing with and learning and growing. I loved all that. I fucking loved Addie. Addie yeah. is amazing. I loved how Henry described her, which is perfect, defiant, joy, stubborn hope. I loved her wonder, her amazement of life, and just how she had so much fight in her. Oh, God. She's a good one. She was a bad bitch. <laughs> she was. <laughs> she sure was. So we hope that you enjoyed hearing I didn't even get to give my rating. Oh, I thought you said a five, too. Uh- I would also give it a five. Uh, this has quickly moved up to one of my favorite all-time books. Um, it's on my list definitely for 2021. It is on the list of my favorite books so far. Granted, I've only read five books this year so far, but 
it's up there. So if I was a rereader of books, which I'm not, I would definitely read this again, but it was a fantastic book. If you only read one book this year, please let it be The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Um, it will just blow your fucking mind. Uh, it's so wonderful and happy. I love it. I yeah. love so much about it. So we hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. We want to hear your thoughts too. Please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill on Instagram and Facebook and at The Lost Chill One on Twitter. While you're there telling us your thoughts, give us a follow so you can always know what books are next. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning just in time to have with your coffee. Next week, we will be discussing The Queen's Gambit by Walter Tevis. And the following week, we are going to be discussing Kristen Hanna's brand new book, The Four Winds. We also have our full schedule for the month of February listed on Facebook and Instagram. We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show. We can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book. We're also going to post that survey on if it's Luke or Lose. So Loose. What? Lose? What? It's not Loose. 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 Luke. Luke or loose. Luke or As loose. In Lucifer. Luke or loose. Which one it is? Team Katie or Team Lindsay? It's all. <laughs> You're such a bitch. <laughs> Did I just say Lindsay? <laughs> Team Katie. Fucking A. It's like no one remembers me. <laughs> Sorry, Addy. It's okay. Team Kimmy or Team Katie? <laughs> All right. We got distracted. We need to stop. We're done. Thank you. Bye. Bye.